0: Lord's House tonight. I don't know if you noticed, but on the way in, I checked, it was 63 degrees. Ah, wonderful. Finally getting out of this winter funk that we've been in, and uh, here we are getting into the spring and looking forward to summer, and uh, it's getting, it's light later, and it's just wonderful. It's wonderful. Now, we'll have the snow until August, but um, that's all right, as long as it's in the corner in the in the parking lot, That's that's good. <clears throat> the Lord has blessed us. Folks, I don't know if you, you've understood or been aware of the condition of the church and the condition of uh, folks in the church and all. There's always ups and downs. There's always people going through difficulties, and there are always uh, challenges with sin and the world, the flesh, and the devil, and, and uh, that's going to con- continually be. But listen, the Lord has blessed the church and, uh, as a whole, and, and if you've kind of, like I say, noticed that, it's, we've got much to be thank- thankful for. Much to be thankful for. <coughs> the uh, message is entitled "Learning from Their Mistakes," and uh, this is a very unique passage of scripture because it's—it's it's a mistake, it's a—it's a problem, it's a—it's a misstep, if you will, that the early church did, and so very interesting to look at this passage of scripture and see okay well what about it let's learn from this if we can so let's do that take a look at this story here in acts chapter 1 verse number 14 these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and mary the mother of jesus and with his brethren i remember by the way reading that and how that Mary, the one who actually bore Jesus, was there throughout all these things, throughout his resurrection, and in that early church, facing the same persecution that they did, facing the same challenges that they did to get the gospel out to the to the uh, different reaches of the globe, because she was a believer and she knew. I mean, if anybody knew, it was you know maybe others could could uh, criticize and look at her from a distance and and and. accuse her or of that family of anything. But she knew. And she knew that this was the Son of God, and she saw and she firsthand uh, raising this child in the world and having him be the perfect Son of God before her. Uh, she understood perfectly, and she was there. She gave her entire life to be with the others, Mary, the mother of Jesus. How about that? Anyway, so they all continued in one accord in prayer, supplication, verse 15. And in those days, Peter... Stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. By the way, let's not miss the intense doctrinal teachings of inspiration of Scripture. We have the word of God given to us by God. These are his words, but he has used human instrumentality. What does he say there? It says, the Holy Ghost spake by the mouth of David. So David actually articulated these words, but they weren't his words. They were the words of the Holy Ghost that he spoke through David. How about that? Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas. Now he's uh, quoting an Old Testament passage of Scripture here. <clears throat> For he was verse 17. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now they're talking about Judas. The application of the Scripture is talking about Judas that he was going to be with the twelve, and Jesus chose twelve, and one of them, as Jesus said, was a devil. It was all in His will, and and His. Um, uh, allowing or uh, not enablement but uh, is what had taken place and it's an Old Testament scripture that uh, prophesied of what would take place with Judas. It's talking about Judas here. He was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Verse 18. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. One place says that he was that he hung himself. <clears throat> this place says that he, he his bowels burst asunder and, and his innards kind of uh, what is what a scene. Hope you haven't had lunch just re- recently, but um, and and somebody's you know looked at that and said, there you go, look at that discrepancy in scripture. One account says he hung himself. One account says you know his bowels you know bushed, gushed out you know. How about both of them are true? (coughs) He hung himself, and whatever the diseases that he had in his body and whatever, his uh, thin uh, membranes, he hung himself in that that, uh, jolt that, you know, it uh, opened up his body like it did. Goodness, what a death, what a death. Nonetheless, his bowels gushed out. <clears throat> Verse 19, and it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Aseldema, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, and here's the scripture, this is the pa- passage of scripture let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take, his bishopric means his office, you know, what he was chosen for, let somebody else take his place. Wherefore, okay, that's the scripture, the scripture that these disciples are reading at this time, and folks, perspective is everything. you got to read this from their eyes, from where they were standing, from what they knew. They didn't know anything outside of, I mean, we got the entire book of Acts and we could read the whole thing, beginning to end. They didn't. They read it from their perspective. And from their perspective, this Old Testament scripture says, okay, whoever's in this office, he dies, he's out of there, let somebody else take his place, let his bishopric another take. Okay, so that's that's all that they know. They're looking at that and they're saying, hmm, that's what the scripture says. What do we do? Verse 21, wherefore, <coughs> of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, <coughs> how, how long was he in his public ministry from the time he was baptized to the time that he was with the disciples? How long was that? Somebody, anybody. Three years. There you go, three years. Uh, so he says, as long as that, that he was with us for those three years, wherefore let these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day <clears throat> that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So that to be around for three years and hear the teachings of Christ, but then also have seen the resurrected Christ. They, the, the person that would take this office would have had to have seen Jesus after his resurrection from the dead. They had to be a witness of, with us of his resurrection. <coughs> Excuse me. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias. It's kind of like they had a ballot, they voted, the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. There you go, we have the, the substitute, we have the one that would take the place of Judas. Lord, thank you so much for this, your word. Help us to understand some things. From our perspective, we certainly have a different reading and different perspective and understanding of what has taken place here because of history, because we know how it played out. They didn't, and so, Lord, help us to put ourselves in the shoes of these men and try to understand what they were doing and uh, about these mistakes that they made. Lord, I pray that you help us to gain from it tonight. Lord, help us, frail, finite individuals from a perspective that is not eternal, to understand uh, how we face life, good, the bad, and the ugly. Lord, I pray that you help us to understand and and again have some direction for us tonight in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, this is a super interesting passage because we have the luxury of hindsight upon the disciples and their moves. We saw everything that they did. It's all recorded. It's, it's a historical book. We see exactly what was said, uh, and sometimes the thoughts are, are revealed in the book of Acts. And so we have it all. It's, it's all there, and we see it from uh, uh, history. They didn't have a historical perspective. They didn't have hindsight. They didn't know how it was going to end up. They knew nothing about what would take place in the next few years with that early church. They didn't even have the precedent to compare the times to. There was nothing like this in the past. Nothing in the scripture like this, where the Messiah would come to earth, live among us, uh, uh, be crucified uh, for our sins, raised from the dead, instruct us, go back to heaven. We're we're waiting for the promise, as we heard this morning, the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, have the the power to reach the world. There's nothing like this. This was a one-time event. I mean, there's nothing that they could compare it to. They said, well, before, when this happened, before, before, before here, so therefore we can understand what we need to do now. There was no precedent like this. Uh, They were uh, walking blind, if you will. Now, Some things we know. First and foremost, that their choice of Matthias, the next uh, uh, apostle to take the place of Judas, was wrong. We know that. I mean, now we know that because of uh, our perspective and history and everything else. and, And we know that. At least, maybe it wasn't wrong, but it was an unnecessary choice that they made at that point. Paul was definitely an apostle, one of the most notable apostles in the the Bible. He even had the privilege of writing most of the New Testament. But Paul came along later. He wasn't even mentioned here. Maybe they didn't even know who he was, or maybe they did know because he was in the business of murdering Christians. Now, who could have known? Who could have known that the apostle Paul would be the next apostle? This one called Saul of Tarsus. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, Paul says, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Now look at what Paul says. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, last of all, he was seen, seen he says, of me, Paul, of me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. See, Paul was an apostle. He was the next one in line. He was the one to take the bishopric or the office of this man that was, that was ousted. And, and Paul made it clear. He was, he was the next apostle. He was what, it was going to be uh, uh, come lately, come late. He was born out of due time, he says. He says, I'm the least of all the apostles. But nonetheless, he was an apostle. 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. Paul was an apostle. He had that title. He had that position, that office of one of the 12. Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, Paul was the next apostle. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. That's very clear. Paul even fulfilled the qualifications that they set forth about becoming an apostle. You remember? Here they are, Acts chapter 1. They said, hmm, we need to fill the office. What are we going to do? Who are we going to put in this office? Well, well. What are the qualifications? What do they need to know? What, what do they need to have experienced? And so they gave those qualifications, and there's two that they gave. Number one, they had to have been trained by Jesus. Personal teaching, personal training. Acts 121 says, Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and went out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, that was about three years of intense training. So they had to have had personal training of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they said, number two, the the other qualification, they also needed to have seen the resurrected Christ. Must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection? Those two things. Now, both qualifications were met by Paul, the apostle, beginning with his encounter with the resurrected Christ on the road to Tarshish. You remember that? He's on this road, and he gets knocked off his horse, and who does he meet? In person, after his resurrection, Jesus Christ himself. And then personally, he was taught in the desert to complete his training. Galatians 1, verse number 15. This is what Paul says. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, (coughs) that I may preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. And so he says, okay, I got my training, not from a person, not from a human I got my training, he says, eventually, he's talking about getting his training directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, neither went I to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. Uh Uh-uh, I didn't do that. I didn't go to the apostles to get secondhand account of the teachings of Christ. He says, but I went into Arabia. He's in the desert. And I returned again into Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. And he goes on, and he's recounting his life. What he did was he went into the desert and he got instruction from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He saw Christ on the road to Damascus, saw the resurrected Christ three years with him and the Lord only in the desert. We don't know much of this time. Easton's Bible Dictionary states this about this this portion of Paul's life. I quote, Immediately after his conversion, he retired to the solitudes of Arabia Galatians one seventeen. we just read those verses. Perhaps of Mount Sinai in Arabia, for the purpose, probably, of devout study and meditation on the marvelous revelation that, been, that had been made to him. A veil of thick darkness hangs over this visit to Arabia. Of the scenes among which he moved... Of the thoughts and occupations which engaged him while there, of all the circumstances of a crisis which must have shaped the whole tenor of his afterlife, absolutely nothing is known. He's saying we really this is all that he says about this, this time of his life. Immediately, says St. Paul, I went away into Arabia. The historian passes over the incident. It's a mysterious pause, a moment of suspense in the apostles' history. And we really don't know much about this time, but we do know that he said he conferred with and he learned, not from flesh and blood, but he went into the Arabian desert and he learned. He learned what, what he needed to know. We do know, know that at, at times Paul revealed that he attained a greater revelation than any, anybody else of his time. 1 Corinthians 7.10 he says here, in this one passage of scripture, he's dealing with, you know, issues about marriage and being single. He says, unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Let not the husband put away his wife. Okay, so he's saying in, in this kind of case, this is, you know, one perspective. This is what you've got to understand. But to the rest, speak I, not the Lord. If any brother or a wife believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. So here he, he says, in the, the way he's speaking, it says, he, uh, at first, uh, this is what I'm saying, but not me. The Lord says this, and he gives that, and he says, and this is some advice, and the Lord's not saying this, I'm saying this. He's not saying, some of what I'm saying is scripture, and some of what I'm saying is not scripture. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with certain these, of these subjects in the past in his teaching. This is what he taught us. Not I, but the Lord is teaching these things. And then when he says, okay, now the Lord Jesus didn't reveal this uh, here on earth to others, but this is new revelation that I'm giving to you that I've gotten from the Lord. And so some has been words of the Lord's that he's repeating, that he's quoting, and some new teaching. So that's why he says, uh, the Lord said these things. Well, how does he know the Lord said those things? Well, because he had teaching from the Lord specifically in the, in the desert for three years. He was there, and he got his instruction, not from flesh and blood, from, but from the Lord. Um, in, in Sunday school, we're dealing with uh, Lord's Supper, the, my class, and we're dealing with what Paul said. He says, uh, that which I received, I give unto you. Uh, and he speaks about the Lord's Supper, and the night in which he was betrayed. This is what, well, wait a minute. He wasn't there. How does he know that? Because the Lord gave that to him. He, remember, he didn't get this from the other apostles. Where did he get this teaching? Where did he get these truths? From the Lord Jesus Christ directly. And so, and that's how he talks when he when explains things. Some things the Lord uh, commented on. Some things... This is maybe new because the Lord didn't deal with this. I'm telling you this. It doesn't mean it's not Scripture. There were no less inspired passages of the Word of God than elsewhere in the Bible. Second Timothy 3.16, as he says here, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, whether it came from Peter or John or Jesus or Moses or whatever. God worked it out to where, as in our, in our text this, this evening, it says the Holy Ghost by the, by the mouth of David spake these things. So he used David, but it's all scripture. All the scripture, the inspiration, uh, the the, the words of inspiration that God has given, it's all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But Paul had unique personal revelation. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 4. Here's a passage of Scripture that we don't know what to do with this because Paul's going uh, in the body or out of the body. I don't know. Maybe it was this, in a man that I knew, and, and it's, it's mysterious. This is what Paul says about these teachings here, uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 12, 4, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. He got revelation that we don't even have in the Scripture, in the Word of God, because it's not recorded. There was another time that somebody learned some things, was revealed to them, but it's not recorded. When John saw these things, and he's about to write, and the angel says, don't write this. No, no, this is not for anybody to know. You just leave that, leave that as a mystery. Don't put this down in your book so we don't have it here. So, And, and Paul, too, he got some revelation. Nobody else, things that were unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter, that, that Paul got from the purse, can you imagine what kind of lessons they were wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall in that classroom where Jesus is teaching Paul of the scripture like he did to the uh, those in the road to Emmaus and he, he, he started back in the Old Testament in, in, in the Psalms and in the Proverbs uh, or in the, in the in the law and the Psalms uh, teaching of himself going over these scriptures and this applies here and there. oh yeah why didn't I see look at that and, and uh here, Jesus himself taught Paul. He had three years of teaching. So anyway, getting back to the point, Paul passed the qualifications of apostleship that Peter and the others lay down. The first uh, chapter of Acts, they're saying, okay, we've got to replace this guy Judas. What are the qualifications? He says, okay, number one, had to have teaching, intense teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ for the three years that we were, were there. And then number two, has had to have seen the resurrected Christ. So of those two, they had to have been trained by Jesus. They got three years. Paul did also. And they also needed to have seen the resurrected Christ. They said to be a witness with us of his resurrection in verse 22 of our, of our text. Let me ask you something. Whose qualifications were they? Where did they get these qualifications? They're trying, to, they're trying to do things properly and in order, and, and here they're doing the best that they can to try to, to put somebody in that office. By the way, they're great qualifications. They're qualifications that help us today to be able to see uh, heresy and falsehood. And somebody comes up and says, I'm an apostle. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, did you get in, intense training of the Lord for three years, one-on-one, and did you see the resurrected Christ? Eh, get out of here. Uh, imposter. It, it doesn't work. There's, there's religions, cults today that want to call people apostles. No, no. Apostles are, uh, you know, in, in a sense, they're like the apostle means sent one. Okay, so anybody sent can be considered an apostle. I can be sent of my wife to go get some eggs at the grocery store. I could say, I'm an apostle of Diana. Because he's, I'm sent out from Diana to go get eggs. Yeah, that's right. You know, in that sense, but not the office of apostle. Just like the office of elder, there's there's people that are older than me in this church. Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> I started pastoring when I was 26 years old. My goodness, but here I am. You know, and and but there's people older, people younger. So we could call certain people in the church elders, and they're elders. But not the office of elder. That's that's a different story, and, and such such it is with the apostle. So the qualifications that the that the the uh, uh, the apostles put out there in Acts chapter, where did they get those qualifications? You go to the Old Testament and say, okay, this is in, in the book of Leviticus. This says when you're going to replace an apostle, they need to be no, nah, 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 those are the qualifications. You don't see that anywhere. Where did they get those qualifications? Whose qualifications were they? You're not going to find them in any. Uh, biblical uh, uh, reference or, or identification. The 11 came up with these qualifications. Sure, it may have been their own stipulations, but it seemed as though God himself approved, because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul, the, the last one born out of due time, he, he uh, uh, qualified, didn't he, with both of those. He saw the resurrected Christ had the intense teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ for three years. How about that? It was a witness of the resurrection. So <clears throat> they were within biblical parameters and uh, biblical colors in scriptural hu- hues, if you will. Good job. Good job, apostles. But like I say, you don't see that in scripture. That's just what they laid down because they were trying to do the best that they could. So, <clears throat> again, the conclusion is Matthias was not God's chosen apostle. You know, I'm going over these things and some of you are looking at me like, oh no, heresy, don't, don't say that. No, no, I want you to either agree with that or not agree with that. Was he not? Matthias was not. Matter of fact, after this chapter, you don't even hear about Matthias again. You don't hear about him. He's gone. Do you hear about Apostle Paul? Oh, all, most of the New Testament you hear about the Apostle Paul. Uh, Matthias was not heaven's choice. Paul was. And for those who want to quibble here about modern day apostles, these peerless officers were counted the foundation stones of the church. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight, And God hath set, set some in the church first apostles. Secondarily, prophets. Thirdly, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities, tongues. Okay, so he says when God's going to build his church, think of Legos, okay? The first uh, row, the foundation, bricks are apostles. And then upon that, and then upon that, upon that, and he's building his church. But the foundation is, of course, the, the foundation stone is Jesus Christ himself. And then first, he says, our apostles. Ephesians 2.20 we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Revelation 21, 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations in them. We're talking about heaven, the, 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 uh, the uh, physiological place that we're going to go to in heaven where we're going to live as our eternal abode. It says it has 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 13 apostles, the, the, the 20 apostles the 200 apostles that came from earth. No, no, what does it say? 12, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Don't you know Matthias is not one of those, is he? But Paul is. He was the last one born out of due time. So there's 12 apostles, and they don't include Matthias. And if you were to check, well, is it Matthias or Paul? thats that 12th one? Well, no doubt. Paul was the last one, as it says, born out of due time. Okay, so we've established that Matthias was not God's choice. Paul would eventually be God's choice to be that last apostle. So we've got to come to conclusions. That business meeting in Acts chapter 1, uh, they were out of line, weren't they? Well, you could look at it like that. That's why I say this is, a, this is an amazing piece of scripture. You know, it's like, let's, let's learn from this. What, ha- what happened here? What happened? They were incorrect in their business meeting, Acts chapter 1. So, so if they were incorrect or if they were disobedient to God and His will, why didn't God judge them for going their own way instead of His way? That's a good question. Well, three, three reasons. unless let's look at this. And I'm not just going over Scripture here just to learn this story, which is very interesting I I really, I look at this, I say, okay, what can we gain out of this? Just this story, but what what can we gain out of this? Number one, they dealt with accountability. Accountability to the Bible. The early church was accountable (coughs) to the leadership of the Word of God. It was whatever the Bible says, whatever the Word of God tells us, Wherever it directs us, we're going that direction. Whatever it says, we're going to adopt that attitude. We're going to do that. We're going to obey. The, the Word of God is is utmost in our uh, attitudes, and so they were, they were accountable to the leadership of the Bible as much as they could be. There was no way for them to know in their place, in their seat. There was no way for them to know what God would do and how that Paul was going to be the next apostle. They were just doing the best they could and deciphering the scriptures. Let me ask you, what would you have done if you acted from their perspective? The Old, pa- the Old Testament passage says, Psalm 109, verse number 8, this is the passage, let his days be few and let another take his office. What would you do in that place? If you read that scripture and you know this is the, exactly what just taken place, he's out of there, uh, you know, it seems like it fits. This is a scripture that I have prayed often for many politicians and presidents at different times. Let his days be few and let another take his office. You know, and no disrespect, but I'm asking God. I'm praying for my, my president or my leader, but I'm praying that God gets his will. Get him out of there. You know? so, uh, what would you have done in this situation, reading that scripture, knowing that it was applied to, to Judas right there in their generation? What would you have done with that? So their acting on this was their effort to work in tandem with God. Whatever God wanted to do. Hey, let's get it done. Let's work with God. So let's elect his replacement. That's what the conclusion that they came to was. Let's elect his replacement. The one drawback on their actions could have been seen as impatience. Maybe as uh, human timing. Presuming upon God. You know, that maybe God didn't want it done right exactly then, which he didn't, did he? We find that later. All you got to do is read the story, and Paul comes uh, in Acts chapter, what is it, chapter 8 or 9. Yeah, that's where he comes in. But, of course, they didn't know that, and so you could look at it like they were impatient. But, hey, guys, give them them a break from their perspective, not knowing that. you got to give them this. One great quality that they had... They were operating on what they understood the Bible to lead them to. They were doing the best that they could to try to fulfill scripture, work in tandem with God, and they thought, that's what it says, let his office somebody else take. All right, well, let's let somebody. So that's what they thought. They were trying to be in obedience to the known will of God. There, there are many things, folks, many things that I don't know of a surety in the Bible. There are certain things that, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that it means this, but I don't really know. And, you know, where the Bible's solid and secure, you say, thus saith the Lord. Where, where the Bible's not solid and it doesn't make it very clear, I'm not going to say, thus saith the Lord. I'm going to say, you know, I kind of think that it might be this way, but that's my opinion upon what I know of the Word of God. There's a whole lot of things that I don't know of a surety in the Bible, but that's not what I'm accountable to, folks. I'm accountable to obeying that which I clearly understand. Like it's difficult to understand some of the Bible. Listen, if you're here and you've never been born again, let me tell you God's will for your life. Look unto me and be saved, God says. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. It's God's will for you to be saved. Is that hard to understand? Is that hard to, to, to comprehend? There's a lot of things you might not know about the scripture, the, the, the depth of the word of God. Hey, that's okay. And, and that's how it's supposed to be. It's, it's an unfathomable word of God but there are some things that are very clear that you do know that is very clear and you can't understand. How about being saved? If you're not saved, you've never been born again, I don't care that your parents are saved. I don't care that you're a member of this church. I don't care that you know all about the, the Bible. You can quote the 66 books. You've got memorized scripture in your brain. You know how to lead somebody to Christ. You can have all of that stuff and never have repented of your own sin, never have come to be born again, and you don't know the Lord personally. You need to be saved. Is that so hard to understand? No, it's not. You're going to be accountable to that. Every person's going to be accountable to the things that they know that the Bible teaches or that is in God's will. How about to be baptized? That's what the Bible says. You're saved. You should be baptized. Is that so hard to understand? Jesus made it very clear. He said if you don't Get baptized and you're not following me, you know why say Lord Lord and follow not the my words and say, you know, you know, I love the Lord and you don't follow what I'm saying. He says no for believers anybody to get saved. You're to believe, put your faith in Christ, and be baptized, which shows everybody. It's a testimony to the world. I line up with believers. I line up with the teaching of the Word of God. I line up in obedience to what Jesus wants in my life. Some of you are saved, and you're not baptized, and, like, what part of this is so hard for you to get? Well, I just can't because what? You're afraid of water. Okay, get over your fear, you know? Take some value and then get baptized, you know, and and just wake up later. I don't know, you know. Get over it. Ask God to help you with that fear. <laughs> my my son Luke, one of the one one of the most unique baptisms I think ever. And some of you that have been a member of this church a long time, you heard about this story. But some people are just afraid. They're afraid to go under the water. I remember in. Uh, In uh, Springfield, Missouri, there was a a young boy who was in a wheelchair. He had, I don't remember what it was, uh, polio or something, but anyway, he was in a wheelchair and he didn't have, you know, a a, a good grasp of his own, you know, arms and legs, and he wanted to be baptized. He wanted to be baptized so badly, so the only way that he could is with the wheelchair and everything. So we arranged to do that in that church in Springfield and Brother McGath was in the, in the tank ready to help him baptize and, and there, there were other men, there was, there was two or three deacons there to help him to, to get baptized that night, I remember that and, uh, okay, we now baptize you, and they took the, the chair, and they, they were ready to bring it down, and he he grabbed the, he grabbed the, the, <laughs> the side, he wouldn't, wouldn't want to go down, no, no, you gotta, you gotta let go, you know, if you want to go down, you gotta, and, he's just, but he, and he wanted to, he wanted to so bad, but it was, you know what, it was, a, it was a blessing to see somebody that was struggling with fear, but said, you know, I love God more, I love God more than that. Oh, I want to be baptized, but Pastor, you know, it's going to mess up my makeup and my hair. And I'm going to look bad in front of everybody. Okay, so don't follow the Lord. Do you understand that if you're supposed, if you're saved, you're supposed to be baptized? And hey, how about this? You're saved, you're supposed to join the church. That's the place in the New Testament for believers to be. You're supposed to be a part of a New Testament church. Say, preacher, Where's that? Well, the Bible says you're to obey them that have the rule over you uh, and are over you in the Lord, and that your pastor gives account uh, for your soul, you know, because he's to watch for your soul. Uh, The the shepherd, the bishop, and you know what? There's some that, man, they come, they love the church, and they love the, the teaching or whatever, but they're not committed. They don't want to be committed. Do you not understand that? Do you not understand? It's so very, very, very clear that you're supposed to be in 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 uh, submission to the leadership of that local church, you know, because uh, the Bible talks about the the pastor being the overseer of that. See, if you're if if you're not a member of the church, well then you can do whatever you want to do, and there's no accountability. You can live however you want or whatever. Now, if you're a member of the church, and you have that kind of a testimony, then then you've kind of covenanted with others to say, hey, I'm going to serve the Lord. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter five, and here's a guy that was a member of the church that was living in sin and had to be dealt with because he was a member. And you can't do that being a, now a visitor. They could live however they want to live, but not a member of the church, because you you have signed up, you have uh, uh, committed to be part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church that He died for, and you're not a part. You've never you've never joined <coughs> a a a New Testament church. Why is that so hard? <clears throat> is it so difficult for you to understand? I can't understand that. No, you're lying. You understand that, but you're disobedient. That's the, the, the uh, conclusion there. You've you, you got to be a part of a church. You're accountable to obeying that which you clearly understand. How about getting into the Word of God? Oh, pastor, you know, I don't read my Bible. It's just when I come to church, I listen to the Word of God. You're not where you ought to be when the Bible says study to show yourself approved unto God. You're supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to, to honor the word in your life. You're supposed to be immersed in the word. You're supposed to memorize the word. You're supposed to take the word of God and you're supposed to, to uh, uh, consume it and enjoy it and, and go over it and meditate upon the word and you're, you're not doing that? Wait a minute. Is that so hard to understand? It's not something that you can't understand. It's something that you don't want to be obedient to. Hey, let's call it what it is. That's not something that's hard because you, you don't exactly know. No, no, the Bible says very clearly you're supposed to be a student of the word. It, it honors those that, that study to show themselves approved. They were more noble with, than others in that they searched the word of God daily to see whether those things were so. Hey, they knew their Bible. And you don't, listen, you've been saved for how long and how many times have you read through your Bible? Well, I've never done that yet, but. Do not understand that? No, that's that's simple. Okay, we're we're accountable to the things that we understand. <clears throat> Growing in faith. Hey, listen, God doesn't want you to just get saved and sit. Paul dealt with those believers in Hebrews chapter four, or chapter six, where where they were supposed to be teachers, but they were still uh, feeding on uh, milk instead of meat of the word because. They hadn't grown, and Paul was getting after them. Paul was, was uh, uh, chastising them for that. Hey, you're supposed to be up here, and you're not. What, what's wrong with you? And he says, that's something that is, is your problem because uh, it, it's your uh, choice that, that brings you down to be immature, to be uh, simple in the word. No, you're supposed to grow in faith. How about growing in challenges? The Lord asks you to do something. You know, when he asks us to do something, like, for instance, with, uh, with tithing, he says, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord. Hey, put me to the test. I'm promising you these things. Put it to the test. See this in your life. You know what tithing, you know what being, being honest with our finances before the Lord is? It helps us. He doesn't need a, a penny of your money or mine. He needs nothing. He's the, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He doesn't need anything I can give. But you know what? It's for me. It's for my development. It's for my Christian walk, growing in faith, growing in challenge, witnessing. The Bible says I'm supposed to be a witness. If the Bible says you're supposed to be a witness and you work with somebody that doesn't know you're a believer, where is this Right? Do you not understand this? Is it, is it hard to understand? No, 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 pastor, I understand that. Okay, well then do what you know to be done. Be that witness that you're supposed to be. Get involved in the work of God. You know what? We need teachers. We're going to need another teacher shortly, and we need some Sunday school teachers and workers. We need some that will sacrifice, and some that will offer, and some that will will get in and roll up their sleeves and work in the church. And then there's many that just kind of sit and they're not involved. Hey, do you know that that's God's will for your life? And and uh, do you just be accountable to what, what you know that the Word of God uh, tells you to do or be? Lead others to get to your level of maturity. It's called discipleship. I mean, pick somebody out and say, you know what, they need help. You need help. I need help. But you know what? Wherever we are, there's somebody below us we can bring up, at least to our level. And that's, that's our responsibility. We're, we're to disciple others. We're to encourage others in the work of God. We're to consecrate ourselves to God. When the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed. That's what the Bible says. This is God's will. Is that so hard to understand? No, no, no. Actually, we're going to get done with this, and you're going to go home, and you're going to start flicking the channels and see something that is not holy, and you're going to fix on it, and you're going to disobey what God says. Is that hard to understand? No, no. That's easy. How about how about we do this, folks? How about we obey what we do understand? What we know? What we know the Word of God teaches? What part is unclear about these simple places in the Word of God? I know the Bible has a lot of things that are deep in there that, you know. I don't. I don't have a clue to some of them. That you know, wheel within the wheel and this and that. What's going on here? I, I don't know. You know, somebody asked me a question this morning or what was it yesterday? Uh, what about this? And why? Why this? And I said, <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. I don't have a clue. There's a lot of things like that. But you know what? There are many things that are extremely clear. The problem that I have is not the things that I don't understand. It's the things that I do understand. I've got to act upon that. <clears throat> what you, what do you understand God wants for your life tonight? Think about that. What is it that God wants me to do or to be? What does God want me to consecrate? What does God want me to lay on the altar tonight? Act upon that. Just do that. Because you do understand that. Yeah, there are some things that I don't have a grasp on yet. And I'm going to continue to struggle in those areas, and I'm just going to try to find, I'm going to try to ask God and see what I can do to figure things out, but there are some things I do know. Let's work on that. Okay, so uh, that early church, looking at where they were, they acted upon accountability to what they did know the Word of God to say. They got it, they got it wrong, but they, they did the best. They were, trying to, they were trying to figure it out and to be accountable to what they knew the Word of God to say. But look at this, <clears throat> divine limitations. Here's where it gets interesting. The choice that they gave God was limiting. This is what they said Here, God, <clears throat> we want to know your will between these two choices. We're going to bring two men before you, and God, we want your will of who you want between these two to be the apostle. What was wrong with that question? What's wrong with that question? They said, Okay, God we're allowing you to to have the choice between these two people, you choose which one you want to be an apostle. And and God says, uh, (laughs) neither. None of the above, you know. And sometimes we do that. We come to God and we say, God, I want to know your will between my two choices. Uh, Do I marry, you know, uh, here, this floozy, or do I marry uh, this Jezebel, you know. What do you want me to do, God. (laughs) And you know whatever he says, that's what I'm going to do. You know, like you're really looking for God's will there. You know, <clears throat> this is what they said. Acts 123. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, "Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two that's the problem right there. <laughs> they they limited God. Whether of these two thou hast chosen. Look at verse 26. And they gave forth their lots." And the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, wait, 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 wait a minute. Are they God's choices? No. Were either one of those God's choices? No. Who said they were God's choices, or that one of those would have been God's choices? (laughs) It's like asking the wrong question. Just the other day, I I heard uh, one of our uh, new fresh faces (laughs) in the uh, Congress asking, They had a a, uh, um, delegate from Wells Fargo, a Wells Fargo executive there, and uh, she was asking a question to the Wells Fargo executive before Congress. How long have you supported ICE policies by financing the building of cages to separate children from their parents on the border? How long have you been behind those policies? And the guy says, "Uh, uh, wait, wait, wait just a minute. We don't build cages. (laughs) That's, that's the wrong question. What are you talking about? You know, we finance, and whatever people do with their, the money that they get, that's one thing. You know, that's whatever they want to do. And they don't, by the way, they don't build cages either, but, you know, Obama said that we need to years ago, and so... <laughs> We're not getting into politics. Okay, let's, let's skip over. But what I'm saying is, the question is presented like, uh, okay, uh, these, these choices, you know, why are you doing it? And it's, it's a bad question. It's, it's kind of like the question... How long has it been since you stopped beating your wife? Uh, uh, Wait a minute, preacher, wait a minute. I I haven't beaten my wife in two years. (laughs) Oh, so it's been two years since you stopped beating your wife. Well, no, actually, I haven't beat my wife before that time either. That's a bad question. How long has it been since you stopped beating your wife? And by the way, don't look at my wife tonight. She's got some bruises on her face, and it's got nothing to do with me. I guarantee uh, she's gonna lie and say that, that that is not. But he's just trying to gain sympathy. But something fell on her face, and it wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> <coughs> There's uh, a preacher was trying to figure out he's just starting a church and didn't know how much was to be his salary and how much was to go towards the support of the church for the electric lights and for the building and stuff and there was nobody else around he was a treasurer he was a he was a song leader he was everything so he says to an older preacher how do you do this and there were three preachers there and, and uh, this preacher said oh well what I do is uh, I draw a circle on the ground and I take the offering after you get the offering and I say God I want you to determine what it is you want me to get inside the the circle and everything else outside the circle will go to you and it will go to the expenses. So he throws up the offering and wherever it falls, he takes that which is within the circle and he says, that's mine. And the other preacher says, "Um, yeah, but I don't get much that way. I kind of do the same thing, except I draw that circle and I say, Lord, I'm going to throw this money up. Whatever falls inside the circle is yours. Everything else outside is mine. And I get more that way. And he says, oh, that's one way to do it. And then the other preacher says, this is the way I do it. I draw the circle and I say, God, whatever it is that you want, keep it. And whatever else comes down is mine. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of asking questions of God and putting them in a a box saying, okay, God, you've got to, you've got to, Uh, go my way, my understanding. That's not how God works. And and by the way, God even articulates what the Old Testament priests should get and New Testament pastors. That's not even within the the message here tonight, so we're going to go on. Anyway, this point. The point is that they limited God by by their own offers of solutions. God, which two of these is your choice? Well, it was neither of them, but they limited God. Do you see how that is? We always give worse solutions than God's ability whenever we limit God. You remember when God was trying to get Moses to go and, and release the children of Israel from Egypt, and, and uh, he says, well, I don't want to go, and I can't speak, and this and that, and finally ran out of excuses, and he says, God, send Aaron. Aaron, he could talk. Right, he says, okay, and God was tired at that point. He says, all right, go on, take Aaron. He, he'll be your spokesman. Do you know what Aaron did? The whole time that, that Moses was before Pharaoh and in Egypt, the whole thing, he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. I tell you what Aaron did when Moses was on the mount, and they were all saying, well, Moses is dead. Let's, you know, worship a different God. And he says, well, bring me your earrings and gold. And, and he threw it in the fire, and pff, there came out a calf. Oh, Moses, I don't know. This is what happened. That's what Aaron did. You know, but he was no help at all. But that was, that was Moses' solution. You know, God could do much greater than Moses ever even imagined. And he did, didn't he? Yeah. You remember when, when uh, Abraham, he's old, and he has a child. His name is Ishmael. And uh, God says, no, no, you're going to have a child with Sarah. And he says, you know, God, that's impossible. a yeah, you know, limited God. He says, well, why don't you take and, and, and bless Ishmael have him, him to be my, my son? What a mess the world has today. I mean, just looking at the world system because of, uh, you know, what they did back then and, and their own uh, uh, examples or ideas. The disciples' evaluation of what could be done with the boys' lunch in John chapter 6, verse number 9. They said, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but Lord, what are they among so many? How are you going to take and, and use these two fish and this little lunch did they think that Jesus would miraculously divide two fish into 5,000 pieces? It says 5,000 men. That means there must have been maybe 12,000 people there, 12 to 20,000 people. Can you, can you imagine Jesus m- making the miracle of dividing two fish into 20,000 little pieces? Is that what they were thinking? You know, God had much more. You know, they were limiting God. God, what can you do with these? Well, uh, you know what? It's a whole lot more than you, you think. And Folks, when we come with our ideas and present that and God says, no, that's nothing. That's insignificant. Let me work. Let me wow you. Let me show you what the power that I have. What about when we put God in a box of our own making, limiting God? We limit God in, in ways I'll never change that person. Preacher, don't you understand that that you know I'm married to him or her and that, that person's never going to change. Oh, really? You know that. Like God's not as strong or as, as, as stubborn or hard as your spouse is. I think not. I think not. I think God can. I think God could do what we can't. The preacher I'll, I'll never make that kind of money or I'll never win the day. I'm never going to learn that ministry. I'll never save that soul. That person's so wicked, they'll never. Wait a minute. You're limiting God. Don't limit God. He'll do much more than you can ever imagine to do. <clears throat> did it ever occur to you that God thinks outside of our small mental boxes? Just don't limit God. That's what they did there. They limited God and saying, okay, God, you, wanna, you want somebody in this place out of these two? Well, God had much more uh, think, thinking about that. Their mistake or their problem uh, number one, they were accountable to the Bible the best that they could be, but they limited God somewhat. And number three, there was, if you look, think of it this way okay, it wasn't God's choice, it wasn't God's will. They weren't obedient, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Later, Paul would be the apostle, and here they were doing something wrong. But they weren't disciplined for it, were they? Can you see anywhere in the Bible that says this church was chastened, was disciplined for their action? Nowhere do we find God chastening the early church for their actions in this business meeting. Why? Well, because there was no need. It wasn't an obstinate failure of rebellion or self-will. It was more a failure in waiting on God that any one of us could have fallen into. This was a learning moment, a learning moment for that early church, a mistake due to a limited perspective, limited imagination. <laughs> Can you see somebody in that, in that church talking to somebody else in that church, that early church, 120 there, and saying, yeah, wouldn't it be cool to see Saul, the murderer of saints, to be converted and then called to preach to the gospel? Pipe down, George. You're going to hurt yourself with your imagination. Like, God's going to do that. <laughs> That's what he did. You know, I was, I was way beyond. But you know what? That's what God did. <clears throat> I remember uh, before we had this building here, the three-story building, believing that God wanted us to step out. And some of you that were in, on the deacon board at the time, you remember the, the questions that we had and the the urgings that we felt like maybe this would be God's will for us at this time to, to step out and, and step forward and then do that. And um, trying to trying to find God's will for this and trying to say, God, do you want us to go this way or that way? God is a time for us to step out. I know it's gonna be a step of faith, and so you know, we're gonna have to either do this or not. And so we had a real question about what to do at that time, and, and I, as your leader, trying to determine what God's will is, I want to tell you right now, looking back, hindsight uh, probably wasn't the best move. Not not at that time. Because if you lived the years after that, after 2008, then you know the difficulties we went through. Oh man, uh, there was people that left the church and there was, um, we couldn't hardly keep Keep the doors open as far as financially we didn't know from month to month whether we were going to be in operation because we couldn't pay the pay the mortgage it was it was something you know well you I won't go over the whole thing but at first it was $198,000 is what it was going to cost and then we got started building it and the, and the county comes in and says oh by the way you need another uh, uh, Fire hydrant on this side. We have one over here. We had another one on this side. Yeah, but you didn't tell us that. But it doesn't matter. You got to put it in there. Okay, that's another seventy-five thousand dollars or whatever. And oh, and by the way, you have to uh, 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 retrofit this building with sprinklers, with a sprinkler system. And there you go. That we have a sprinkler system. You can't hardly see them in the ceiling here, but there's those those uh, you know, things on the ceiling. That, and we had to go back, and that was one hundred thirty thousand or whatever. Really, you said we didn't have to do this. And after we started, we. And then they come up with this, and then they come up with that, and it didn't matter. It was our fault, and it was our problem. We, we had, a, and it went from 2.2, and that was the time that we didn't we didn't foresee the the uh, economic condition of every that recession that was global, not just not just national, global. Man, everything hit the fan, and then prices went skyrocketing up to try to finish the building while we're in the middle of building it, and it got worse and worse and worse, and went from uh, one 195,000 to um, 2 million. 2.2 2 million ended up 2.5 million. Yeah, that that choked a, a horse. And we got choked. I remember that. And, you know, now looking at things in hindsight, the truth is that Today, we're miles away from those difficult times. Thank the Lord. (laughs) Thank the Lord for that. And uh, by the way, if you note that this year, we've finally come full circle to eliminating the missions account for any of our general fund needs. Finally there, where everything given to missions is going to missions, outside this church, not here, not to pay the bills or uh, mortgage or anything. What a blessing that is. Attendance has been up, and the Lord's been blessing with the finances and with you know the the lord has, has blessed this church in so many ways and that's not how you see whether a church is right or not whether it's financially fit but man the lord has taken care of things and and needs are way ahead now in, in our outreach our ability you remember the funeral yesterday that we had here church that couldn't hold it asked us to help and there was 300 people in this aud- in this auditorium and we fed them and We're not able to do that before, but we are here now. What a blessing. Folks, what a tremendous blessing. And it was tough. It was difficult. It was trying trying our faith when we went through those difficult times. It was faith-growing and character-proving, but God blessed. He met the needs, and maybe needs that were self-inflicted, if I might say it that way. But, you know, God didn't chasten this work. I really don't think that's what happened. Matter of fact, as you, as you see, you know, God's pleasure upon this church, he didn't chasten this work. I don't believe he did. No, no, he, he tolerated us in our miscalculations, our misguided steps, or our unfortunate experiences. I say our, my misguided steps because I'm the leader, I guess, the overseer. You know, God blessed. He, he tolerated because I believe our heart was continually in the right place. I remember before getting into that, we sought the Lord's direction and obeyed scripture parameters. We tried to stay true to his word, and our understanding of the word, we did the best that we could with what we knew. And we weren't, we weren't chastened for that. We learned from that. We grew by that. What a blessing. What a tremendous blessing. Now, the early church, they didn't they didn't justify a woodshed experience for their misguided effort. God didn't chasten them for making taking this business meeting and and you know uh, severely reprimand the church. He didn't do that. I believe because their heart was in the right place. They did the best that they could with their understanding of Scripture. And now, by the way, later on in Acts chapter eight, there was a sharp woodshed experience for that church. They experienced. Uh, they were supposed to scatter and bring the gospel out everywhere, but they were happy to just stay in at home, at home base, and uh, and have a, a great uh, a contentment of Christian fellowship as they were growing at home base. And, and the Lord said, "No, no, I said go to all the world to preach the gospel." And then you see Acts chapter number eight. God had to step in, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And there was at that time great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. I believe that God did that. It was, it was sharp, and it was, it, was, uh, it was a woodshed experience, but it was to get God's uh, will accomplished. God's going to get his will accomplished from his children one way or, uh, or another. At that point, they needed the whip because they were being disobedient. But you know what? In Acts chapter 1, they weren't being disobedient. They were just doing the best that they could no, folks i'd like to move by the lord's direction and his word and his whisper not his whip Yeah, you know, he'll get us to to be where we need to be with his whisper or with his whip i'd rather take the whisper you know really now tonight let's learn by that early church not to be afraid, to move forward, seeking His will. And sometimes we're just so afraid to do anything. We don't want to do anything. No, no, you gotta do. You you gotta accomplish His will. You gotta you gotta follow the Lord. But let's do what they did. Let's be accountable to the Word, to the best of our understanding. Do what we know the Scripture teaches. We have those those cl- those clear uh, uh, teachings and positions. What God wants for my life, do what you know the God that. The, the Bible teaches that God is, is uh, telling us through his word. Number two, avoid limiting God. Don't put God in a box. And then number three, seek his pleasure. We understand what pleasing him looks like. We understand what the woodshed looks like also. I'd much rather be pleasing the Lord and not in a woodshed relationship. Every head bowed. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to Accomplish these things in our personal walk, personal lives, Lord. Thank you so much for guiding, guiding us with Your Word and, <clears throat> Lord, this example of <clears throat> Acts chapter one with these believers going through this uh, uh, unique experience of they got it wrong. They they tried and they, I believe their heart was right. They tried the best that they could, but they they miss understood your will for that church at that time and you had something that they couldn't even imagine later on. They were just trying to obey, trying to step forward and and, and obey and, and follow your will. Lord thank you for your patience with your people when we're dull like that and when we miss it, when we misinterpret. Lord help us to have the right attitude. Help us to, to always want to please you. Lord I pray that you just be with each one of us, Lord. Help us to, to, to always have a relationship with you where we want to please you. You want to be in that, in that relationship that's sweet, not, not sharp, not bitter, not harsh, but sweet. Lord, I pray that you would help us to draw close to you, help us to uh, individually and as a church, Lord, help us to, to move forward in the things that we know that we're assured of. Lord, those places that we're not, we pray for your grace and your direction. Prevent our hand from doing things that we should not. And Lord, um, put us in the right direction and give us an incline toward that, toward that will so that we can accomplish your will. Lord, I pray that you just bless. Thank you for speaking to hearts tonight. I pray that you deal with mine, all of us. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.